Uh, Philippians chapter 2. We are in Philippians, book of Philippians, New Testament book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 19 and following. We're doing a series called It's All About Jesus. And uh, if you are brand new around here and you're just getting to know us, I do want to invite you to Discover 1.0 next weekend after second service. Sign up for that. It's basically, it's coffee and with me and you get a tour of the building and facility and you get to ask any questions that you want about the church. So I uh, really want to welcome you, warmly invite you to that personally. And uh, it's great to have you here. If you're new here, I want you to feel welcome and loved. And what we do is we usually walk through a passage of uh, the Bible and uh, we talk about Jesus. And uh, so we're excited about that today. Let me read uh, the passage I'll be talking about today and then I'll pray. It says here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send uh, to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let us pray. God, we, uh, we just come to you, and I come to you once again and just ask that you would completely take over. Um, uh, Lord, I pray that you would own this moment in the Word and that you would speak to us and lead us and guide us and be our Savior and our leader. And uh, we thank you for Scripture that speaks so clearly about good leadership. And I pray that, uh, that today as we talk about that, that will be um, an encouraging thing to us. And um, Lord, we just, uh, we just pray that, that you would uh, continue to lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what, what Paul's talking about, he's writing this church in Philippi. And what he's talking about is he's talking about leadership. He's talking about these two leaders. And you heard him talk about it. He talked about two really good model exemplary uh, leaders in the church. One is Timothy, and the other is a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, which took me like five years to learn how to say. So there you go. Uh, but Timothy and Epaphroditus are these great leaders. He obviously holds them up. He wants to tell them that he's going to send Timothy to see them. And he's excited about that. And he's sending Epaphroditus to them and everything like that. What's important for us applicably, and as you're coming in here with all kinds of things on your mind and in your heart and you're, you're seeking after God or you're looking to God, what's applicable to us in this passage is good leadership. And it's important for you to know that God has made you to be a follower of leaders. 
Now, the problem in our culture is that in our culture, leaders have let us down. In fact, we are completely, as a culture, anemic in good leadership. True or false? People are dying, literally, emotionally suffering to try to find somebody to follow that has good character, that does what they say they will do, that, uh, that will not kind of, you know, uh, 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 cut corners or anything like that. People are looking for somebody to follow, somebody to help them, some that, somebody to serve them and to lead them. And what we have right here in the Bible is... a characteristics of leaders that you can follow, especially in the church. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to politics, those leaders are usually nine times out of ten going to let you down. Amen? It's true. They're going to. Now we know that even leaders who we hold up in high honor in sports lets us down. There are the sins of commission, and there's the sins of omission. And what happened in Happy Valley in Penn State is an example of leadership and the sin of omission. Kind of not doing all that you can as a leader. Not serving that community and serving people who are in need. And so you're going to be let down there. And you're going to be let down in your community from time to time. And, uh, and so we're, we're let down and we're confused. And for, especially for my generation, we just don't want to follow any leaders anymore. We're just like, trick them all. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to follow anybody. I'm certainly not going to get vulnerable. And I'm certainly not going to submit to and come under leadership. I'm just going to keep a good, safe distance from good leadership. And I want you to know that is not what God wants you to do. And what we have to focus on is if the whole world, if everybody fails in leadership, let's make sure that the church does not fail in leadership. Let's make sure that we get leadership right so that you can always trust that when you get in the church, when it comes to Jesus and the church and leadership, you can trust that leadership no matter what's going on in the world. You know, it's like I tell my girls all the time. My girls will start. I've got four girls. For those of you who are brand new. I've got four girls. It's a purple and pink world. (laughs) It's a trip. Seriously, it really is a trip. But when they start fighting each other and they start bagging on each other and giving each other a hard time and, you know, they start doing that. What I always tell them is like, look, this home, our home is a safe place. Out there, it's not always safe. But you can always trust that in this household and in this home, it will be safe. You will always be safe here. And what we want in the church in particular, and what Paul is talking about with the Philippians, is, is this church and our church and church needs to have good leadership. Now, if I could give you an idea to kind of hang your hat on today, here's the deal. Follow leaders. Here's what Paul's saying. Follow leaders who follow Jesus. Simple enough. Follow leaders who follow Jesus. And who are the leaders and what can we look for for leaders who follow Jesus? And it very well could be that God is calling some of you to be the future leaders of our church. Maybe in five years you're a man or, or maybe you're a woman who's going to be a deaconess one day or, or, or maybe serve or be a life group leader. What are the things that you can be looking to do to prepare yourself for leadership and to be a leader that follows Jesus and that is trustworthy and that can be followed in the church and can serve in the church? What are you looking for? What can you work on? Well, here's the first thing. What, 
what are we looking for in a leader who follows Jesus? Number one, we're looking for leaders who are called by Jesus, who are called by Jesus, who are leading not because of talent or qualification, but because they're primarily called by Jesus to be a leader for Jesus in the church. Let me read to you in verse 19 uh, this characteristic of Timothy. He was called by Jesus. It says there in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus, everybody say in, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now, here's the thing about Timothy. When Paul says, I, I want to, I, in the Lord Jesus, I want to send Timothy to you. When he says, in the Lord Jesus, that's not uh, rhetoric. That's not religious rhetoric or pious talk. Literally, Paul identifies himself as being in and vitally connected to Jesus, united with Jesus, and that Jesus working in and through him is telling Paul and is calling Timothy to ministry. Timothy is doing leadership in the church. Timothy is a leader because he is called by Jesus. Now, turn with me real quick. Hold your place there in Philippians or listen real quick to Philippians chapter uh, 6 or Acts chapter 16. Pardon me. Acts chapter 16. And I want to read the passage where Timothy first pops up in the Bible and where Paul meets Timothy. Acts 16 and verse, starting in verse 1 and following. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, stop there. There is absolutely nothing in this passage or in this verse that qualifies Timothy to be a leader in the church. In fact, this points to the fact that Timothy is like every leader that God has ever used in the Bible or in the world. Timothy comes from a dysfunctional family and background. All of God's leaders and all of Jesus' leaders originate from dysfunctional families and background. You say, where's the dysfunction? Well, the dysfunction is, is that Timothy's mama is a Jewish believer and his daddy is a Greek pagan. That's dysfunction. Timothy's background, his whole life comes from dysfunction. In fact, uh, so dysfunctional is this situation with his dad being a heathen and a pagan that Paul, when he begins to take Timothy with him on ministry, the Jewish people are so freaked out by the paganism of, his, of Timothy's daddy that Paul ultimately has to have Timothy as a grown man circumcised, which is horrible. Amen? <laughs> if you are uncircumcised, you're not going to let me t- circumcise you. Amen? No, but in order for Timothy to do ministry, all the Jewish people are like, dude, that guy is just fun. His daddy's a pagan. He's a heathen. His daddy's a heathen and his mama is questionable, questionable probably for being with the heathen Greek daddy. That's how dysfunctional he is. Now, why am I, why am I pointing this out to you? The reason why I'm pointing this out to you is because God always takes jacked up people He changes their life. He makes them a disciple of Jesus. And ultimately, in a lot of cases, he uses them. 
name one person in the Bible that is a hero in the Bible that doesn't come from a dysfunctional background that was ultimately used by God. Abraham was jacked up. We talked about that last week. Moses was a murderer and a stutterer. He couldn't even talk. He stuttered. He sounded dumb when he did public speaking, and God used him. Think about any, anybody. Think about Jonah. What a moron. Or think about King David. Remember uh, Samuel? He's called by God to line up all of King David's older brothers who are, you know, they're ripped. They got like a six-pack and they're cut and they're strong and they're big and they're talented. And they got this resume. And Samuel's like, that has got to be the guy. And God's like, nope, next. That has got to be the guy. Nope, next. That's got to be the guy. All the way up to little David. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God says to Samuel, don't look at the stature or the height. Amen. <laughs> Scholars tell me Jesus was about 5'5". Five, five. That's a Tiger Woods. Oh, we don't bring up Tiger Woods. Anyways, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't look at the stature or the height of a person. For men look at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. God does something in weak vessels, weak people, sinful people. He comes in, he awakens them, he regenerates them, he makes them disciples. And then he shows the world his power by saying, look at this weak, small, short, statured man and watch what I can do in small packages. Because I am God. I can save anybody, I can forgive anybody, I can change anybody, and I can use anybody I want. Why is that important for our conversation about Timothy? I mean, Timothy, even he, <laughs> Timothy was so weak outwardly. I mean, even after he gets saved, he has these stomach problems, you know what I mean? He's basically gassy. That's what the Bible says. You got stomach ailments. In the Greek, it means he had gas all the time. And Paul's like, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not, this is not blasphemy. He says to him, drink some wine to take care of your stomach. You know what I mean? And stop being so timid. Because Timothy, the way he pastored, he was just real timid. But God still worked through him. And why did God work through them? Because Jesus called him. And the question is not about what people think of you. The question is not how religious or spiritual you are, what your pedigree is, or what your credentials are. The question comes down to, is Jesus calling you to be a leader in some way for his glory and for his kingdom? And when Jesus, you say, how do I know Jesus is calling me? How do I know when Jesus is, is calling me to be a leader? Because he's transforming you, he's changing you, he's helping you by his grace to leave aside sin, to grow and mature, to become holy, not in your own strength, but in the strength he provides. You're leaving aside addictions, you're moving beyond dysfunction, you're moving beyond heathen, pagan daddy that taught you all the wrong things, and you're being taught by your heavenly father because Jesus is changing your heart and like David, who stood up against Goliath and said, this will not stand before God, I might, and you know, Goliath's like, you're just a little punk, you know, and David's like, no, I'm not, God's with me, and knocks him down, because God was at work in David's life. 
What kind of leader should you follow? You shouldn't follow the person that outwardly looks perfect, but who inwardly is being changed by Jesus, who's being conformed to the image of Jesus, and who is called by Jesus. And some of you, you're called to be a leader one day in our church. And you cannot, you know, a lot of people hesitate to even take on leadership or take on even the possibility that maybe one day they're being called to serious leadership in the church because you say to yourself, oh, well, that can never be me because I'm just not that type. Dude, not that type is what God's been using since the dawn of creation, since the fall of man, and since the beginning of redeeming man through his promise and through his covenant. In fact, I want you to go to a a Bible verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 26 and following. It says there in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Are you foolish? So I'm not foolish. Well, then God's not going to use you. That's where God, God meets you in your foolishness. And God changes you. And the reason why he's changing you who's so foolish is to shame the world, the world which says that God can't change people, the world that says that you can't be used, the world that says small things can't be used by God, the world that denies God altogether and rebels against God and runs away from God. God, verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Follow leaders who follow Jesus. Follow leaders who are called by Jesus. And don't lead but and unless Jesus is calling you to lead. And lead based upon that calling alone. Here's the second thing from Philippians I get is that, you know, leaders, good leaders are leaders who have gospel identity. Write that down, gospel identity. They have identity in the gospel of Jesus. That's their leadership criteria, their identity, how they get their worth. They get their worth, their self-worth in life and in their leadership not from outward circumstances or how things go, but they get their identity and their self-worth from the gospel of Jesus. Look at verses 21 and and, uh, 22. He says, for they all, he's talking about bad leaders, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Everybody say in. In the gospel. Timothy served with Paul in the gospel. His identity, his vital union, his connection, his worth, his sense of of, of, of accomplishment, his sufficiency, his contentment as a leader is based upon the identity, his identity in the gospel. And that's vitally important. 
If you're looking to leaders, or if you're looking to be a leader, or if you're looking to be a servant leader in the church, or if God's at work in you, you have to have your identity connected to the gospel of Jesus, and not your identity is based upon something else. You say, well, what is the gospel, and why is that so important? Well, the reason why that's important is because the gospel is that Jesus died in our place. Everybody say substitution. That's the gospel. Jesus died in our place for our sins, paid our penalty. He was buried and he rose on the third day. That's the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus in our place for us as sinners. The Bible says God shows his love for us in this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now you say, why is that important for leadership? Well, the reason why it's important for leadership is because what makes you right with God and what completes you and what strengthens you and what changes you is the gospel of Jesus, not outward circumstances. You have to serve in the gospel. You've got to serve in your identity in the gospel. I am made right with God. I am right with God right now. Did you know that? I'm not more right now than I was yesterday or 48 hours ago. And I won't be more right with God tomorrow or next week. I am as right with God as I ever will be because Jesus paid the full price for my sin on the cross. And I believed in that. Do you believe in that? Because if you believe in that gospel, then you're right with God right now. You're as right as I am. You're like, well, you're a pastor. You like float. You know, angels come and give you sermons at night. You know what I mean? Dude, let me tell you something. We are on the same playing field. You're not going to get any more right with God outside in your own works or your own righteousness. You are made right with God because of the righteousness and the death of Jesus in your place. You can look at anybody... You can look at any person and you can say, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm right with God. And the gospel continues on, not only with the death, burial, and resurrection, but the second coming of Jesus is a part of the gospel. And what's going to happen at the second coming? You know what's going to happen at the second coming? He's going to raise everybody. He's going to raise new bodies. Everybody's going to get resurrected bodies. And those who don't believe in Jesus are going to go forever into hell. And those who believe in Jesus with new bodies will go with Jesus and live with Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's my identity. My identity then doesn't even have to be I'm a short man because my new body's going to be tall. You know what I mean? I mean, even Dee was talking about it. Give up your organs. I mean, donate your organs. Why not? Because you're going to get new kidneys. You're going to get new lungs. You're going to get new feet. My daughter's always giving me a hard time because my feet are hairy. She's like, Daddy, your big toe is so hairy. You know what I'm saying? Did you know your pastor has hairy toes? That is gross. That is disgusting. I'm getting new feet. You are too. And what that means is that, listen, our identity as leaders and even servants in this world does not have to depend upon outward circumstances. And why do leaders in any organization go wrong? Because their identity gets wrapped up in outward success. What happened to Joe Pa? What happened to him? Why didn't he say something more for those boys 10 years ago? You want to know why? 
Because his identity was wrapped up in how people thought about him. His success as a coach. See, that's the world. What you have or who, how people perceive you or the home you have or your car. And that gets translated to leadership in the church because leaders get in the church, whether it's elders or deacons or any other leaders, and we're tempted, pastors especially, we're really tempted to judge the value of our ministry on outward success. The numbers, how many people or how much money is being given or whatever. And our identity gets wrapped up into outward stuff. And I don't feel sufficient. I don't feel content. I don't feel complete unless I get those outward measures, those outward pats on the back, unless the world gives me a good feeling or a good substance or, or something like that. I don't feel sufficient. And don't you see what Jesus has given us? Free of charge, Jesus has died for you and he said, I've given you everything so that you can serve. And even if somebody comes into the church and, and they say, well, I'm not going to give you money because, because you're doing this or that or the other, say, you know what? It's all about Jesus. Give or don't give, I'm just following Jesus. Our identity, our identity, our identity. And all of it, you know, is, listen, this is tough. This is, it's not like I'm walking in this all the time. It's not like every day I wake up and I go, I feel completely sufficient in Jesus today. I mean, I struggle with this. I struggle as a pastor. I've been a pastor for seven years. I've watched people leave the church for some of the dumbest things. People have given me sleepless nights as a pastor because my identity has been wrapped up in how people think of me. In my ministry, in my church. And we need people to rise up in this church who are going to lead, help lead Cross Point Church in our elder team, our deacon team, our admin board team. We need to continue to build up leaders whose identity is in Christ. And when that giver stops giving and when, the, when those numbers don't, aren't perfect or when you have a bad month or bad years of ministry, still you got leaders who are just serving Jesus and plowing through and saying, our identity and our sufficiency is in Christ. Man, that's when it gets powerful. See, Paul's not commending. Paul never commended Timothy to churches because he was so gifted. Because he really wasn't. He commended Timothy because he was strong in Jesus and he had a strong identity in the gospel. Here's the final thing. You need to be called by Jesus and follow people who are called by Jesus in the church. You need to follow people in the church who have gospel identity. And here's the final thing. You need courage. Courage like Jesus. To be a leader in the church and to be a leader for Jesus outside of the church, to be a good witness or evangelist or Whatever, you've got to have courage like Jesus. And that's when he starts talking about Epaphroditus. And what's admirable about Epaphroditus as a leader in the church is that he had courage. He had courage. Look at verse uh, 25 in particular. Um, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, love that, and your messenger, and minister to my need. He goes on to talk about how he was sick. He almost dies. Look at verse 28. 
I am eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, here's why you got to have courage as a leader. As a servant leader in the church, you got to have courage. It says about Epaphroditus, he's a soldier. Everybody say soldier. Okay, so let's just dispense for a second this whole sentimental church thing. You know what I mean? This whole kind of country club, civic club, church idea where we come together and it's really sweet and nice and we all hang out with our friends and it's really pretty and all that. Let's just dispense with that for a moment because here's the deal about the church. You want to know the reality of the church? The reality of the church is that we are involved in a war of intense fury and that all of the powers of darkness... And all of the demonic powers is attacking the light of Christ and the gospel of Jesus. And our spiritual enemy wants to come in our church constantly and bring division and disunity. And he is fighting against us and he's fighting against Jesus at work in our life. And he's, he's doing everything he can to split our families and to split us up and, and to divide and to conquer. And listen, we are involved in a war of intense fury. And here's the deal about being a leader especially a spiritual leader, you got to be a soldier. There's nothing romantic about it. There's nothing sentimental about it. And I, listen, you got to become a veteran for Jesus. By the way, thank you to all our vets who have fought for our country. Amen? Happy Veterans Day. Now, here's the thing about war. Here's the thing about war. You know, when we're boys and we're growing up and we got our toy guns, I had all those toy guns, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I'm shooting everything. I'm like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm just very romantic, right? And we grow up with this idea that war is somehow kind of fun. But you talk to any veteran that's been in the line of fire, you talk to anybody who's been at war, and you know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you, horrible and difficult it is how how courageous you must be and that that you see people injured and you get to see people hurt and you get to sacrifice and and being a soldier is not always fun but the victory is what you fight for you got to be courageous to be a leader in the church you got to be a courageous to be a leader for jesus outside of the church and you got to be so courageous that you're almost reckless. You're almost, there's almost a reckless riskiness to being a leader in the church. In fact, he even uses that word. Look at verse 30. He says about Epaphroditus, he nearly died for the work of Christ. I mean, he, he is putting his life on the line. And he says risking, everybody say risking. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There's a Greek word there in risking. It's called parabolonai. Which I really like to say because I feel Italian. You know what I'm saying? Parabolona. Uh, let's be the parabolona. You know what I'm saying? Like I like that word. Anyways. But the parabolona, it's a gambler's word. It, you, you, throw, you throw dice. That's what it was used for. Dice throwers. Risky. Gambling. In some denominations, that's just sinful. Amen? Like, you don't gamble. But what he's talking about is that Paphroditus was willing to risk his whole life. He's a part of the Parabolonai. Later on, in 1st, 2nd century Christianity, they created an association, and it was called the Parabolonai Association. And it was men and women 
who the church would bring together. And they would look at these men and women and say, okay, you guys are the parabolonai. And as the parabolonai, you, your job is to go and minister to the sick, to those who have been infected with infectious diseases. And your job is to take water and food to them and risk your life, gamble your very life to serve them. And so these men and women, these parabolonai, they would go and they would risk their whole life, even risk being infected. In 252 A.D. At, in the city of Carthage, the whole city got, got a plague. A plague came into the city of Carthage. And the bishop, Cyprian, called his church together. Kind of Imagine if a plague came to East Peoria and everybody's just dropping off dead. I mean, boom, like a black plague. What happened in Carthage is that all the heathens and all the pagans throughout, they left their families, they left everybody, they left their friends, they left, in some cases they left their own kids to get out of there, to get away from the disease. They wouldn't even bury their dead. And Cyprian called this church together and he said, you know what, we're going to be the parabolonai. We're going to stay in this city and we're going to serve people and we're going to serve the sick and it's, there's a chance that we might get infected and die, but it doesn't matter We will serve people. All of that is in that word. He risked his life. Epaphroditus was a courageous leader. He was willing to risk his whole life. He was even willing to get close enough to people. Because we're scared to get hurt, aren't we? True or false, we're scared to get hurt. Especially in our culture. We don't want to get hurt by people. So we don't want to serve people. Because if I start serving you, you might hurt me. Because here's the truth. People are irrational. Sometimes unreasonable. Sometimes I'm unreasonable. I know that might shock you. But sometimes you're unreasonable. You're dangerous. And if I really start to serve you, you might emotionally hurt me. I might get infected emotionally by you or, or whatever. But good leaders called by Jesus, leaders that follow Jesus, will become the parabolonite. And that's what we need in the church. We need parabolonai to rise up, to serve one another. And, you know, I had, we had a meeting. We had a vision night meeting with the admin board, the deacons, the elders a few weeks ago. Maybe it was about a month ago. And what we discovered about our church is that we don't have enough members. We, have enough, we don't have enough servant leaders to fill up the spots on our elder teams and our deacon teams and our deaconess teams and our admin board teams. And we need new leaders. We need a new generation of parabolonai. And that's exactly what we talked about. We talked about we need new parabolonai. Well, we didn't say parabolonai in that meeting, but you know what I'm saying. We need new leaders to rise up. We need to pray to God for laborers for the harvest. We need new people to grow in Jesus, be saved by Jesus, mature in Jesus, so that they can come alongside of us and be like Epaphroditus, get risky with us, get reckless with us, be a soldier with us, be a fellow worker with us, be a brother and a sister in service together to be courageous. Now, I want you to see something. Do you see that... To be a leader in the church, you've got to be like Jesus. The same language that's used. Look, open, uh, go to Philippians 2 and verse 4. Verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That very language was used of Timothy. 
And then, uh, and then he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see what Jesus did? He, he didn't leave the plague. He didn't run from the plague. He didn't, leave his, he didn't leave his creation just to die and flee the plague and stay up in glory and keep, you know, the angels are saying, glory, you know. Falsetto, sorry. Anyways, but instead he humbled himself. He came into human flesh. He became like the parabolona. He came and he served the plague. In fact, the plague ultimately killed him on a cross. Your plague, your sin killed him on a cross. And then he rose victorious. And when he works in your life, he saves you and he makes you like himself. And that's what Epaphroditus and Timothy were. And that's what elders are. And that's what deacons are. And that's what life group leaders are. And that's what good leaders in the community for Jesus wanting to honor God and the way they do business are. They're just like Jesus who risked it all, who gave everything, who poured himself out. For you. So the first step is to receive that into your life if you don't have it. Second step is to grow in it. And the third thing is to ask yourself one day, is Jesus calling you? Is God calling you to be a leader in the church like Timothy and Epaphroditus? Maybe in three years, some of you men are called to be elders. Receive that call and grow up in Christ and let Jesus have his work. Some of you ladies are to help the deaconess team. Some of you, you have homes and you have small group leader skills. Let Jesus work in your life. Get risky, get reckless and serve. And for the rest of you, follow leaders who follow Jesus. Don't don't just follow talent. Follow leaders who follow Jesus. Amen? Let's be that church. Let's pray. God, I thank you because I know for a fact, based on the gospel and the promise of your sovereignty, I know that you're at work in our church. I see it all the time. I see it in what you're doing in people's lives. I see it in, in people whom you're working in. And personally, as a man who was born in sin and who had no idea how bad his sin was, but who had no idea how much he was loved by you, I thank you for your salvation in my life. I thank you for saving me from myself and being my liberator. Jesus, I thank you for being my greater than Moses figure who set me free from captivity. And I thank you for the call in my own life to be a servant leader. And, and I know that that's not based on talent, but it's based on your call, your gospel, and the courage that you put in my heart, and I just pray I'll grow in that role. But Lord, I pray for new laborers, new leaders in our church. I thank you for the ones that we got, but all the ones that we got, we've talked together, and we need more, Lord. We need more laborers for the harvest, so begin to raise up men in particular, men who are changed by you, men who are used by you to rise up in this church and to be leaders for Jesus. 
and to be honorable and truthful and biblical and prayerful and will help shepherd this church and lead this church in the future. But in the meantime, for those of us who are in those roles, help us. And then for the rest of us, help us to honor and to be thankful for those leaders we do have in our life who are called by you, Jesus. Help us to honor them and to, and to be grateful for them. God, we give you our church. Bless it as we move forward. We're all gonna, let's just all stand right now and let's prepare to sing. And what we're going to do right now is we're just going to worship Jesus. If you are 60 or better, I was told to ask you this. If you are 60 or better and you're coming to the Thanksgiving meal, and if you want to get over there early before all the young people clamor over all of us to get turkey, you are allowed to leave. Nobody else is allowed to leave. But if you've you got to show your license to the usher in the back to prove you're 60 or better. And we will give you a ticket if you lie, all right? That's not good in a church. You are allowed to leave and, and go over to the fellowship hall. For the rest of us, let's just worship. And then after I'm done singing, Isaac, after we're done worshiping, I'm going to come back up and pray for the meal. So remind me. <laughs> let's sing. <laughs>